Hello and welcome to another episode of the Future Sox Podcast. My name is Mike Rankin. I will be your host this time around. And boy, do we have a special guest for you. Chris Lanuti from Socks in the Basement Podcast. You can follow him on Twitter at Chris Lanuti. Chris, what's going on? I appreciate you jumping in with us to talk some White Sox baseball on the Future Sox Podcast. This is going to be weird for me because I don't normally do interviews. I normally interview other people. So I'm going to completely screw this up, Mike. But I appreciate, <laughs> no. you, I appreciate you having me on the show. And uh, yeah, we're, we're excited over at Socks in the Basement right now. We're, you know, we've been doing this now for almost two years and uh, it, it really is like a grassroots thing that I didn't expect to get as big as it's turned into. And now we're, you know, we've got this live event at Cork and Carry at the park on the 28th. And we're going to be trying out a live broadcast from there through the Podbean app. And we're going to be going to two shows a week instead of one. And it just, it's just, it's a fun ride. And it's great that we're growing just as the team is getting really, really good. And that's exactly where we're at too, as people in this in this industry and in the media just doing it we love to follow the White Sox right and this is why we do it is we put out content because we feel like we have a decent amount of knowledge of what the team's doing and how we grasp what we're seeing on the field and on the field we expect in 2020 to be super exciting but let's back it up you talked about Sox in the basement for a couple of years now take me back to the start and what was the inspiration and then the growth across those two seasons. Well, the the funny thing is, is that I, I had been doing podcasting for like a decade just as a hobby. Um, I, I used to do morning radio, but I never did anything in Chicago. I was in Champaign, Illinois, and Reno, Nevada, and Wheeling, West Virginia, Pittsburgh, and Southern California, and Bakersfield, which is the armpit of America. It's like 122 degrees in the shade. And I'm from Chicago. And so when I came back here and, you know, started doing something that was out of radio, I still had the bug and I did this show called The Broadcast Basement. And it was just a bunch of my friends who used to be in radio and we'd mess around. And somewhere along the line, a couple of years ago, I got the idea that I thought that I could turn it into an actual business. I had people coming to me like, you should do like a local show here and you should do this and you should do that. And I live in Evergreen Park. So that's, you know, on the south side. And I wanted to do this show called the EP podcast, where it was going to be all about Evergreen Park, like a small town radio show. But I was afraid I would screw up the launch. So Socks in the Basement actually came from me and uh, my buddy Dave, who I grew up across the street from. We've been friends for over four decades. And, and it came from the two of us talking about that and me going, I really want to launch another show from scratch so I remember how to do it right because it's been so long. And he goes, let's do a Socks show. I'm like, all right, we'll do the sack show and it'll be like my test show before I launch this other podcast. So we really had like no intention. We didn't we didn't know what was going to happen with it. We figured nobody will listen to it. And we just started doing it. And he was having so much fun doing it. We just kept doing it. But it was like the show that we used to experiment while I was putting together the other shows that I was planning on doing. And it became the biggest show that we do. So it was like one of those. It was funny. We kind of started going and you know we got a couple of people and then somehow I know we landed like Ron Kittle and Jason Benetti very early on came on the show and because we've got we got I don't know how we pulled that off but when we got that all of a sudden people were like oh check they retweeted it and all of a sudden we went from like somebody that had like 20 of our friends listening to you know just you know thousands it was it was crazy yeah and that's all it takes really you know and you guys are legitimate like I said, Socks in the Basement podcast is quickly becoming one of my favorites and go-to listens when it comes to White Sox baseball. And there are so many different outlets that you can find talking about White Sox baseball. And 
that's sort of the, the hard part about this, right? Is, is finding that unique niche where, okay, we want to put out quality content talking about the same things within the White Sox, but you got to stand out from the pack. So I credit to you guys to get to the point where, where you are today. And it all is starting to come together, right? Because now you're starting your third year, you said, Chris? Uh, just finishing up the second. We'll, it'll be, uh, uh, we'll be starting a third year in June. But uh, uh, yeah, it, it, it's weird because when it started growing, we, we got excited about it, but we didn't really have a plan. I think the thing that resonates with people is that we're both sitting here. I know a lot of podcasts and it's nobody's fault. I mean, people are spread out all over the place. And they have to do it like over the phone, like you and I are doing this right now. And, it, you know, it's it, it's hard to get everybody in the same place to do it. But Dave just drives over and sits in my house. And then he was never on the radio. When we talk, this is how we talk when we 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 talk to each other about the socks all the time. So I always tell him, I'm like, the, I always try to explain it to him. The reason it's working so well is that we're able to have that familiarity with each other that radio partners take years to build with each other. And we already have it because we're friends. And so like that, that I think has been really kind of the, the, the reason why we found, like you said, we found a niche. We have, we just have a flow that I think is, it's hard to, it's hard to create that. It's a natural one with the two of us. Well, keep it up. Let's, let's show the listeners why Socks in the Basement podcast is so successful with our conversation here on the Future Socks podcast. Again, appreciate you jumping on. Let's begin with where the White Sox stand about what we're, we're recording this a couple of weeks into spring training. Now, we're right in the middle of spring. Uh, so a lot of these players are now being reassigned to minor league camps. We're starting to get a little bit better of a picture and how the 26-man roster is going to shape up uh, leading into March 26. But as we stand now in the middle of spring, Yohan Mankata just signed an extension to be with the club. And it continues in this cycle of Rick Hahn's, okay, I'm going to pounce on the guys that we feel like are legitimate pieces to our core. We're going to run with it at an affordable price. We may take a risk by investing in these young players at a young age, you know, with a smaller sample size, but you figure the payout could be huge team friendly deals and players are also satisfied with the time that they are in their career with the amount of money that they're receiving in their initial contract. So the White Sox are doing this sort of business to set themselves up with a foundation now, and like, I don't want to get ahead of myself, but with the way that the money's invested, I think they only spent around close to 70 mil this off season. I mean, when you talk about total contracts, it's up near 300 or over 300 million. But just in speaking of 2020, the amount of money invested in these guys, it's only near 70 mil. So that tells me next season they can go out and get somebody big. But that's, I'm trying to, I'm getting way ahead of myself because 2020 is about to be something that we expect to be fun. So I want to get your opinion on how the White Sox got to this point with Yohan Mankata and that contract and where they stand. Well, I, I first of all want to say that it, it, Rick, Rick Hahn has handled this masterfully. And one of the things, you know, he gets criticized a lot, but I feel like sometimes he gets criticized because people blame him for the owner's restrictions that are put on him. Han has to make the decisions he's making because I know deep down in his heart, the, 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 I was I was explaining this to somebody the other day. Some teams spend money to make money. You know, you spend money, you put a, put a good product on the field, and then you hope the fans will show up and you'll make money. But the Sachs model is more, we want to make money 
and then we're going to spend that money, but they're not going to go out on a limb. So yeah, they've had payrolls that have been high before, but it's after they had big boons and people showing up to the ballpark, especially after the World Series year, where all of a sudden their you know their payroll is jumping because they're bringing in more money. Han knows he can't operate that way. Uh, he learned that lesson with the Machado deal. When the Machado when they when they didn't get Machado, Rick Han learned a lesson. We talked about that on the show, and that it was going to be up to Han to figure out how do I build a team when I know we're not going to be the team that always outbids the other these other guys. And what he's done is he's recognized that he's got this great culture. I mean, you've got all these guys that are like, they're basically friends. Like, Moncada wants to play for the White Sox because Jose Abreu is like his father figure. I mean, it's it's amazing the pipeline that they've set up where now these younger players, they, they want to be with him. I don't know if Moncada signs for the deal that he signs for if the Sox don't extend Abreu earlier on in the year. He's got this culture and this group of guys that there seems to be this vibe coming out of spring training. They want to be, be with each other. And recognizing that and understanding that the market inequity is get them while they're young and sign them when you can and get rid of those arbitration years and be able to tack on a few extra years to make my window bigger. That, that was a, that's a great idea. It's a brilliant stroke. It's being copied. I mean, you saw Evan White out with the, the Seattle Mariners get a long-term deal. He's only in double A. Like other teams are recognizing what Han is doing and they're going, oh, that's something that we haven't thought of yet. And he's for the first time ever, I feel like we're actually in front of other teams on something. A lot of good stuff there. And I appreciate you bringing up Jose Abreu because I think that's very important to mention. Abreu had something to do, to do with this. And, you know, he's an aging right-handed hitting first baseman. What is he, 34, 33? He's going to be 37 once his contract is done with the White Sox. And you think to yourself, okay, the White Sox are loaded in their system with a lot of power bats that could fill in at DH. And guys who are already major league ready or close to major league ready figure to be more of a DH type. Uh, you look at Gavin Sheets, for example, who's likely going to start in double double A, but can move up quickly in the system. And you know the the point that I'm trying to get at is why invest in a Jose Abreu at this point where the Sox feel comfortable that they have a lot of this talent. And it's exactly what you said. It's because of what he means to these players that the White Sox, these young players that the White Sox are committing to and hope are going to be a part of the World Series team that they could win. Yohan Mankata signed through 2024 with an option in 2025. Luis Robert signed through 2026. Eloy Jimenez, 2026. You're talking about these really good, talented, young players, cost-controlled, essentially, into the latter part of this decade. I mean, how can you not get excited about that? Well, and it also speaks volumes to, it answers a question. We asked it on Socks in the Basement a couple times here in the offseason. Are we talking window or are we talking long-term, we're elevating this team and now we're going to, you know, if a guy moves on, we're going to have somebody ready to come up like you see other franchises that are always able to do that. Or we're going to be a team that when a guy is getting the free agency, we have the money to retain him like what you saw with the Nationals able to holding, hold on to Strasburg after they win the World Series. So that's been the question is, what is really the focus? And I feel like with these moves, you like you mentioned earlier in the show, you have a lot more money you could play with if you need to go out and get a big free agent. But you also have money you could play with if one of these guys doesn't want to take one of these deals early and wants to bet on himself and wants to play out his arbitration years and then wants to go to free agency and see what his market is. You'll have something in the back in your back pocket, if all of a sudden, let's say Giolito 
isn't interested, but he comes out. He not only does what he did last year, but he continues to build on it. And he becomes like one of these pitchers that everybody's going to want when he finally gets the free agency. You're going to need money to retain him. You'll have that money because you were able to get some of these guys locked up early. I should also mention Aaron Bummer. I, I don't want to <laughs> not mention yeah. Bummer because what is what a steal for that left-hander. At least it appears on the surface. And the White Sox are buying out arbitration years. That's important because one, it's a pain in the ass, and two, it takes uh, you know it's contingent on the players at the position and how they're doing across the season. So it fluctuates. Say Yohan Mankata absolutely has an MVP caliber season, which you know is not out of the question. That might cost them the White Sox some some money. But if you lock them in, you buy out the arbitration years. You're setting yourself up for okay. Now let's go out and just focus on what we need to do. And I hate to lazily compare this rebuild to the Cubs because it's so easy to do that. But there's a fascinating parallel to it because it's very, it's whether you disagree or not, it's similar. And the, the Cubs, I felt like did everything the right way leading up to that world series. They had these guys in their initial contracts, um, maybe outside of Rizzo. I'm, not, I'm blanking on the terms at the time, but you had the guys win the world series. They're still on their young player or team friendly deals under control. And then all of a sudden they win in 16, their value skyrockets. And you have all these players like Contreras, Baez, Rizzo, Bryant, Schwarber, Addison Russell at the time, these players that you figured were going to be a part of your future. And then all of a sudden, okay, how are we going to afford all these players? Then you look at the way the White Sox are doing things. They're pouncing now and they have that value, you know, leading up until the point where they might they may skyrocket, they may fall, but it just seems like the, all of the moves that they've made to lock up the players that they feel are necessary to be a part of this winning culture, they got it done, and I feel like that's such a win. Yeah, no, and I I agree with you. It, look, the 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 bummer thing was great because at first I I love the bummer thing, especially me with with my my buddy Dave here because David. David hates giving relief pitchers money. It's like one of his ticks. Like it just aggravates him. He's like, ah, a good one year and they stink the next <laughs> one. And it really, really aggravates him. And so I told him the deal. I let him get fired up about it. And then I sat there and I explained to him, like, look at what guys make in arbitration and look at how they, they they're basically underpaying him during those years. Even if he, if he plays bad, it's not like you have to hold on to him for very long. The option years are what matter in that deal. They basically just bought all of his arb years out, and then they have a thing in there where if he does well, they got two more years they can get options on him, or they just give him a million and a half dollars, I think, to go away. So in reality, they just basically negotiated all of his arbitration years on the front end and probably saved themselves money. And if they didn't, they they probably they will still end up getting him at whatever value he would be at. I mean, bad relief pitchers get good arbitration numbers. I mean, Alex Colome. I mean, Look at look at the deal that he has right now. Where we're paying him, he's going to make a lot more money this year on his on his deal. And, you know, and, and and other relief pitchers on the team. All these relief pitchers. Look at the money they're making compared to what we're going to pay Aaron Bummer this year. Aaron Bummer's going to be the best guy on the staff. Aaron Bummer, sixteen million dollar contract, which includes two uh, club options that will increase that total. But the sixteen mil over five years. Are you kidding me? With Aaron, yeah, it's nuts. with the way that Aaron Bummer was able to, well, first, like two years ago, Aaron Bummer, it was like, okay, a little promising lefty here. And then last year, all of a sudden, 95, 97 would sink arm side. Like, 
from a lefty standpoint, plus to like a low three quarter delivery, that is something that you want to pounce on. Like I get the perspective that sometimes lefties are replaceable and they're a dime a dozen and you can find these guys, but Aaron Bummer isn't a part of that conversation. I think he's an anomaly when it comes to lefty relievers because just his stuff alone um, and his size and his delivery, I mean, that is a very efficient reliever and the White Sox nailed it. And again, it's, it's all a part of this conversation where you're building for sustained success. Now, Let's focus to the minor league scene a little bit, and I'd like to focus on the bullpen a little bit too because since we're on the conversation, the bullpen is always one of those random sort of up-in-the-air variables every season. It's like, oh, yeah, the lineup looks great. We got top three, top four rotation spots set. Yeah, but the bullpen, you know, you know, we will figure out the bullpen. The White Sox, I think, figured out this bullpen, and not only that, with with C-Sheck coming in as, as a little bit, of, of a placeholder, you know, a safety cushion, so to speak. But you look at the young arms that we're, we're excited about as well. Ian Hamilton's dealing with a little bit of an oblique issue, but we saw him at the tail end of 18 and was pumping 99 at guaranteed rate field. And we also have Tyler Johnson in our top 30 at Future Sox, a guy who can fly through the system. Let's not forget Zach Birdie. Zach Birdie is coming back from a knee injury, but also – we, you know, coming off of Tommy John surgery in the past, he was drafted in 16-17 and was flying through the system. Made it to AAA in his first year with the White Sox. And then, of course, the setbacks. He had the arm injury and then the knee. Last year was kind of rough. The issue with Zach Birdie, and let's focus on Birdie, Chris, a little bit, and I'd love to get your take on where he is. It seems to me that he can get up to the bigs, say, by June or July if everything is working. It's all about his fatigue. And if, if the, if the velocity is there, this is a guy who can be a part of the big league club very quickly in 2020. Yeah. I think he, I, I'm excited about a Zach birdie. You know, I'm, I'm not, I'm excited about anybody with the last name of birdie. You see what I think it's Nick birdie out in Pittsburgh. Yeah. He's, he's having a great spring as well. The birdie boys took their vitamins this off season yeah, and it. They, 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 they look good. But look, the great thing here is that both, Bullpen pitchers, you don't know when their window's going to open when they do well, and you don't know when it's going to close. Some some guys have a couple of years, and and then they just go away. Some guys stand for a long time. And bullpens are kind of a mishmash of guys on different career trajectories, and you're hoping to get them all on the same page right around the time when you really need a bullpen. Birdie's got some really good stuff. He's got a he's got kind of a wicked changeup. He kind of like falls off a little bit as it kind of kind of tumbles across the plate as it comes in. That's a nasty pitch when you look at what he's able to bring when he brings the heat. Uh, I I think that if once he's ready, he's going to be a really solid part of that bullpen and I I look forward to seeing him out there. I I also like a guy like, you know, that I you didn't mention but I I like him in our bullpen this year. I'm expecting him to make the team uh Jimmy Cordero. I enjoyed watching him last year. I think there's a lot of potential in that arm. And I I, I kind of liked what he brought to the team out of the bullpen. You, you know, it, I, you got Bummer, and you got him, and you got Ciszek. And you, if once Birdie gets up there, I mean, everybody was very concerned about, well, can Alex Colome really be the closer we need? I see that I see that argument all the time when people are talking about bullpens, especially on White Sox Twitter. And I say, does it really matter? Because I think you have future closers sitting on this team right now that will eventually slide into that role. 
Jimmy Cordero was an outstanding pickup. He was a waiver claim, wasn't he? I believe that's what he was. Yeah, yes. I know he came in late in the year, was a part of a couple of teams prior to his tenure with the White Sox last season. Uh, but you, you, you talk about the big league club and where they stand at the moment. The 26-man roster is so unique to me because what do you do with that extra man? Do you add a third catcher? Do you throw in an extra arm in the bullpen? Now, in my opinion, I think the White Sox go with 14 pitchers and 12 position players just based on the early part of the season, barring any injuries, of course. Now, because, you know, we got to make sure that the guys on the active roster and the 40-man roster, because I don't think the White Sox are going to add anybody to the 40-man that signed a minor league deal, because I think they like where the 40-man stands at the moment. This is a pretty darn good 40-man roster for the White Sox, in my opinion. So when it comes to the opening day roster, let's look into our crystal ball, Chris. What do you think of what I think, 14 pitchers and and, and 12 position players? I think that's reasonable. The Sox have had a history, and I know Coop has made comments over the years and years that he's been the pitching coach that he loves bringing as many pitchers as he possibly can. It was always like, well, they're going to take 13 players and 12 relievers or the other way around, or and 12 pitchers or the other way around. And the Sox seem to habitually always lean towards 13. And I would be shocked if they don't want to bring up a 14th. You, you know, you want to be able to spread out things with these guys with their arms. You, you're going to have games where you're going to, you know, you're going to start taxing your bullpen. I think the Sox are going to take as many pitchers as they're allowed to, which I believe is 14. So that's, I, I agree with you on that. As, as far as who's going to be the 26th man in a player role, like who's the last guy that makes it onto the team. I also think the 26th man can be looked at as, what do we need for this week or this series? I wouldn't mind if we rotated it through. I've heard other people say this as well. I, I tend to think that speed is very important on the base paths and defense. And if you can carry an extra player that can be a late-inning defensive uh, replacement or a guy whose whole job is to show up out there and go first to third or first to home if you can get the ball hit in the right part of the ballpark that most guys couldn't do, then then that guy would be a great 26th man as well. Uh, there's, a, there's a great prospect that I, that I know that the Sox have, uh, James Beard, and the guy is nothing but speed. I, I, I've said this to, to your buddy James Fox all the time. Uh, like I would love to see, I, I would love to see like all of a sudden they're like late in the season and they're going on a playoff run and guess who gets added to the roster? Cause they just want a guy who could just steal bases. Like they don't care about any of his other development. Go yeah. out there and catch the ball in the outfield in the ninth inning. Cause you're pinch running here in the eighth. So we can score this run. Like that's, that's a guy that I, you know, he'll be a weird promotion. I'll be like, where did this come from? Didn't we, when this guy just said rookie ball, but when yeah. they need him, I, he might, he might be on the team when they need that speed. James Beard is a, uh, is a fun follow. He's he, 19 years old and he struggled in his first professional stint, but yeah, he, he, 80 grade speed. He's got a little bit of development in front of him, but yeah, that is a fascinating take. Um, and I, and I love it. That, and the thing is too, you bring up a guy like James Beard. I mean, he coincides with an Andrew Dahlquist and a Matthew Thompson and a Bryce Bush, all these young players that the Sox have that are ticketed for Canapolis this year, even a little bit, because I'd rather see the, those types of players in extended spring where they're under a little bit more control and under the watchful eye of the White Sox, as opposed to going to maybe great falls and short season. Uh, once that starts up, I, I'm not a fan of the facilities at, at great falls. Anyway, I digress, but I wanted to get back to the 26 man roster conversation yes. because you talked about 
you know, who I want as the 26 man and some speed and, and things like that. And I think, uh, and I like, and I agree with you. It's like, what do we need this week? And I think that sort of relates to our point of, okay, arms, right. Especially at the beginning of the season, we want to make sure that in April, we're not taxing these guys. I think now there are some, there are some position battles out there. I think Carson Fulmer makes it. He's out of options. So I, I think the White Sox are giving him his last ride. And Leary Garcia, of course, is going to make the team. Adam Engel is going to make the team. And uh, I'm missing one more. Uh, oh, Danny Mendick. Danny Mendick is going to make the team as well. That's just my opinion. I, I think Leary fills in as the ultra utility man. He could be the opening day second baseman. If Mendick doesn't win the job, you have Mendick on the bench. You could play any infield spot. Um, I think that flexibility is so important. Plus, Adam Engel is having an outstanding sprint. So that leaves me to your opinion on, okay, what about Zach Collins? What about Yerman Mercedes? Like these guys who are making some noise at the 26th spot. Is that is that a possibility? Do you think one of those two guys make the team? Well, I, I don't think Zach Collins makes the team because I still think that they they believe that Zach Collins could eventually be one of their two catchers behind the plate. I mean, let's let's remember that James McCann had one really good uh, half last year and then not a very good half. And the White Sox now have Yasmani Grandel and McCann could easily, they could just sit there and just move on from him next year. And Collins could be the guy that's alongside Grandel. Plus I've read all these things that Collins has this relationship with Grandel that dates back years and years ago, back to Florida. So I think eventually he's a guy that's up in the majors, but they're not going to have him sit on the bench and barely play when they can have him go down and, and work for another year in AAA. Mercedes makes far more sense because I don't think that deep down they believe that Yerman Mercedes is going to turn into a great defensive catcher and is going to be that kind of an option for them where he's all of a sudden going to, you know, he's going to wow them enough to be be behind the plate. He's more of like a, a guy that can be a hitter that can come off the bench. So I can see them doing it. I know he's like kind of the darling down there. I, I've made the joke on the show that I hear uh, mainstream media guys that, 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 uh, that root for the other team on the other side of town and don't normally talk about the White Sox, trying to talk about the Sox here during spring training. And they're absolutely in love with him because of the bombs that he hits. But I, I just don't know. I mean, that you could, you could very easily make the argument that you'd rather take somebody who is like a non-roster invitee. Uh, um, uh, who would, why, why is his name? Uh, Nicky Delmonico. Isn't he a non-roster sure. invitee yep. right now? You could bring him back onto the team because he can go out and he can play the outfield for you and fill in defensively. And you're in, and that's something that Mercedes can't do. So there is the possibility that it's not Yerman. If they do bring up Yerman, they're bringing him up to be like a pinch hitter. And they're saying, okay, well, our speed is angle or whichever one of Garcia, Mendick and angle that's not out there on the field at the time, that's the pinch runner. So we'll, we'll keep a, we'll keep a pinch hitter. So that that's possible. And to your point about Leary Garcia, I think he's the starting second baseman right yeah, now me too. in Ricky Renteria's mind based upon his lineups. He he's he's trying Mendick out at different spots in spring training, and I think that's because he intends to give Garcia the job. Good stuff, Chris. A few more questions for you. I could talk to you all day, to be honest with you. Uh, plenty of White Sox topics to get into. I want to focus on Dylan Cease because I am really excited about what Dylan Cease is putting together this spring. When I'm looking at spring training here for for Dylan Cease, I'm looking at what he's trying to work on. And that is his fastball command. Now, there was, a, there was a story out by James Fagan of The Athletic, and he talked about the importance of Dylan Cease getting on top of the baseball, his release point. He wants 
his spin rate to be more consistent instead of his fastball cutting. He wants it to be more on a flat plane or elevate. That's what you want out of a four seam fastball. Apparently that's been working. And so far this spring, his stuff looks outstanding. And he talked to 670 the score a little bit, provided some quotes and said, Hey, this is the best that I felt throughout my entire career command wise. How does that make you feel? You know, Dylan Cease, you know what I like most about the whole Dylan Cease thing is one of the things that I like to do when I'm trying to evaluate Sox pitching is I try to to find people like every once in a while, like, or any player, I try to find people that are looking at it from a different perspective. Like, do they like him? And I got excited about Cease, not only watching what he was doing and hearing what he had to say, but I got excited because I'm sitting around getting ready for my fantasy baseball season. I'm in the middle of a draft. And the guy who analyzes for CBS Sports is is now all of a sudden telling people, you know, you might want to go grab Dylan Cease. He looks a lot better than what we originally projected him to be. Like, and here's a guy, he's not covering the team. Right. He's not looking at anything. He's looking at raw stats and whether or not the guy's going to have a breakout year. And he's now all of a sudden, like in his article this week going, you know what? We were wrong about him. He looks really, really good. And when I hear, when I read stuff like that, that just backs up my feelings on it that, no, it's not because I'm a fan and it's not because I cover the team. He's good. Other people see it when, because it's, it's jumping off the page at them while they're looking at the whole league as a whole and who's, who's having great springs and may actually do better than what people were projecting him to be just a month ago and sees his name jumps out. He, he looks like he's got confidence. I thought it was really interesting that the White Sox gave him a start right away to kick off spring training, but it wasn't like they were using any of their other starters out there that are going to eventually make the rotation. It's almost like they wanted him to get his confidence. He, he, he seems to have a very good relationship with uh, Lucas Giolito. You have this, you have this, force I call him in Dallas Keuchel that's in there now with that rotation don't think that the moxie of Dallas Keuchel isn't rubbing off on these younger pitchers and he came in with a goal to make sure he was back to what he used to do back in 2018 when he had that really nice year in the minor leagues and one of the things that he was talking about is that he wasn't his stuff wasn't going the way it was there was something not right about it he was working on his ball cutting in a certain way, it wasn't. It just didn't look the same coming out of his hand, and now he feels like it is. It, it felt in 2018, and that's that's a positive thing to hear. I'm really looking forward to Dylan Cease's 2020 season. I feel like you know, and, and another thing that we're keeping an eye on too is his innings. You know, you got to get your body ready to to be able to sit through an entire 162 game grind. You want to see him get out there for 30 starts in a season, but that's also part of the reason why the White Sox brought in Gio Gonzalez because there's a lot of flexibility. When it comes to Gonzalez's role with the team, you expect him to be a starter to begin the year, but he could also transition to the bullpen if you need him to. But, you know, it's just Red Khan knocked it out of the park this year. We talked about previously Zach, uh, excuse me, Zach Wheeler. That was the, a prime target for the White Sox this offseason. It didn't come to pass, and the White Sox had to make an abrupt change in, in their mapping of the offseason. And I think they did everything according to what tr- will translate to success. Dallas Keuchel, outstanding. I think he is invaluable when it comes to, all right, veteran presence. This is what needs to get done on a day-to-day basis. And that's important because you're mixing those guys, these veteran guys, and we're talking about Giolito. He's still, what, 25, 26? Yeah. So who, who, I, I can't I, – can you tell that I'm excited, Chris? I mean, this yeah. is so- – Yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's a good thing to be excited. Look, I'm excited about it. I'm excited yeah. about the staff. And, you know, 
also credit Rick Hahn for not sitting there saying five starters is enough right. because what he really is carrying is seven because you're, you're Kopech, you know, I don't know if he's going to break camp with the team or not. Cause I keep feeling like they're going to, they're, they're going to, he's, it's going to be, there's the story's going to come out of, well, we wanted to do a little bit of time down in AAA, make sure everything's right. And then we'll bring him back up again. But whenever he's there, you, you now have far too many pitchers, you know, I mean, Carlos Rodon shows up, you've got far too many starters. Like somebody's lo- somebody's losing their job. I, I, we think it's, we think it's Reynaldo Lopez. We think Reynaldo Lopez goes to the bullpen here. That's been kind of our consensus that eventually, but it's a great problem to have. But what it also does is you're sitting around, you're worried about like innings for some of these younger guys. There's nothing that says that they can't sit there and say, you know, we're going to shut this guy down for 10 days. The Dodgers are notorious for that. They, they put a pitcher on like the 15 day DL with, you know, just fatigue so that they can free up a roster spot. But all they're really doing is just stretching their pitchers because they have so many starters that they can use. So they pull a guy out of the bullpen. They did that with Alex Wood, I think, for a couple of years. They have him in there in a rotation. Then they wanted to give him a break. Then they put him in the bullpen for a little bit, give somebody else a chance, and they could play. And then all their arms are fresh when they get later in the season. So that's the most intriguing thing to me. Like, we've gone from last year you'd sit at the ballpark, and I would make the comment, there's like five Major League Baseball players out on the field right now. I don't know who the heck these rest of these guys are because they're not going to be on this team when it's good. And now you have so much talent and it's so quick how he was able to amass it and put the pieces in place that there's competition and there's also options. And now we get to see how does Ricky manage people's time? How does he use the pieces that he's been given? What does the team do over the long stretch to make sure everybody's fresh? Like things that they never had to think of, they're going to have to think of now. And it's going to be fascinating to watch what they actually do. Yeah, Rick Hahn, or Rick Renteria, this is the first time that we're going to evaluate him with, with some legitimate pressure because these games matter now. So managerial decisions matter. And you can talk about the, the manager conversation and Rick Renteria and how much, how many wins that, you know, a manager impacts the team. We can go on for hours about that. Oh, we, but, we talked about this on Socks in the yeah. Basement actually this week. And, 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 the re, and the thing I said was, yeah, in game, it probably doesn't make as much of a difference as people think. He could probably screw up about 10 games and probably save about 10 games with his in-game decisions. But if he makes a mistake like what I think would be a mistake is not batting Moncada in the right position in the lineup, or he or he doesn't put together the right combination, he's stubborn, he doesn't change it for a month. Sure. Okay, and he did that at one point last year. That can affect more than just a couple of games because now all of a sudden you could be changing what your runs per game output is across the board while you're making a mistake trying to fit a square peg into a round hole. So he does have an influence on the game. So, yeah, it'll be really interesting to see what he does. Going back real quick to what you were saying about the pitching depth, that's what you're trying to do. You don't want to go into a season like we saw last year where you're throwing out Covey, Adrissimar, Despagne, Irvin Santana, Manny Benuelos. That can't happen. So when you talk about guys competing for five rotation spots, you have seven or eight of them, that's a good problem to have, and that's where you want to be as an organization. All right, Chris, last one for you. I kept you here long enough. Let's talk about who you are most excited about in terms of White Sox prospects outside of Luis Robert. Um, We are all head over heels about the guy. As long as he stays healthy, stop sliding headfirst, and also stop recklessly diving in the outfield, and we'll be fine. Uh, (laughs) Outside of that, who are some of the prospects that you're, you're excited about looking forward to in 2020? Well, listen, I'm I'm not I'm crazy if I don't tell you that I'm excited about Andrew Vaughn. I, I don't know how anybody wouldn't be excited about the guy. I mean, he he just looks like he's a can't miss. He he just looks so good. He looks so good up at the plate. He made a couple of good defensive plays at first base too. 
uh, he's he makes some heads up moves while he's over there playing the position. And uh, I think that if this team overperforms expectations, I think most people sit there and say 85 wins because yeah, you know, my heart says my heart says 95, my head says 85 because you know you, you just can't anticipate that big of a jump. But maybe they surprise you, and maybe we're sitting around in September and this team could use an extra bat. Or let's say to let's say if Encarnacion, because he's he's older in years, he's more apt to get hurt. There's a possibility. You're telling me that if he gets injured in September or in 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 August, and they're looking for an extra bat to come up, and this guy's raking and looks like he could just do it at any level, that they're not going to consider just bringing him up because it, it, because we've had such a long playoff drought. Like he'll be a very interesting story. This guy is going to put pressure on the team to add him to the roster as quickly as he can get up there, just like how Robert did. I mean, look at what he did. He jumped like three levels last year, all in one season. Andrew Vaughn is about to put on a show, I think, in the minor leagues. So I'm really excited about him. I'm also very interested in Dane Dunning. Here's a guy who's got a lot of talent. Here's a guy that was considered to be a big-time prospect and would eventually be in our rotation. He has the series of injuries, but he's going to start throwing at some point. I think you're going to see him before the end of the season, at least coming out of the bullpen. And he'll be a guy who will eventually challenge, I think, to get in that rotation, which is another another arm that it, we're going to have. It, these are all good problems to have. So those are the two guys that I'm looking at the most. I'm looking forward to seeing Dane Dunning. I haven't seen him pitch ever in my life. And I, I, I didn't, <laughs> you know, like I, I maybe looked up a highlight or two, but I've never seen him throw. So hopefully I get a chance to see him in Arizona uh, this upcoming week live if he's throwing at all. Uh, that would be great. You know, it's always good to evaluate a guy when you see him up close. But also, when you mention Andrew Vaughn, ticketed to start in double A, and you're right. Just looking at his at-bats this spring, his approach, fastball or slider outside part of the plate, he shoots it to right field. And I'm just like, that is something, right? I mean, this is a guy who's already a polished major league hitter, it seems. And I'm just so glad that the White Sox went with Andrew Vaughn and not anybody else in, in last year's draft. Um, okay, uh, final things. Let's wrap this podcast and conversation up with Chris Lanuti. Uh, anything that you're looking forward to? I know you mentioned the dual shows. Anything you're looking forward to with Sox in the Basement podcast that us as listeners and viewers can look forward to moving forward? Okay, well, the the first of all, I'm excited that we're going to be going to two shows, and we're only able to do that because – uh, we ended up with an amazing sponsorship deal from Cork and Carry at the park. And because they're doing that, I'm able to put more money into the show. And it was, it's, it's that simple. And I'm really lucky that they want to do that. So because of that, we're kicking the thing off on the 28th at Cork and Carry at the park. We're going to do the live show. One of the things that we are going to be trying to do at that show is interview Brooks Boyer. Now, I don't know if anybody out there knows Brooks Boyer. But I have now left a message with that man's assistant live on the show. And then this week, I sent him an edible arrangement with a baseball donut on top of it. And I ordered it right there on the show. You can go back and listen to the episodes. I, I, I sent it over there. I know Brooks is listening. I saw him at SaxFest. He tried to come up with this, like, excuse that, like, well, you know, I mean, I got to get permission. You don't need permission. You're like a vice president. I know there's 27 vice presidents over there, okay, Brooks, but you're one of them. And I'm pretty sure you can come on my piddly little podcast, get in a little golf cart, have one of your minions drive you over on the 28th. We're, we're going to keep pushing him until he shows up on it. I believe he will because it was funny. Like I, when I ran him in a sax fest, I know he listens because he did the thing where he was like, he started talking to me 
He's like, oh, yeah, yeah. And then he made a joke, and he's like, you get that because you're an old radio guy. He only uh-huh. knows that because he listens to the show. He's uh-huh. heard me say that before. So I he know he's listening. Yep. Yeah, but he's hiding, and I don't know what he's hiding from. I'm not that scary. So the, 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 the mission for Brooks is what's going on right now. If you run into him when you go down to spring training, you tell him I'm gun form, and I expect okay. him to show his face, okay? Uh, sure, Chris. Tell us how you really feel. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate that. Awesome stuff, Chris. Uh, we will definitely be in uh, contact, and we'll talk soon. Uh, of course, you can follow Chris Lanuti on Twitter, at Chris Lanuti. That's L-A-N-U-T-I. Chris, thanks so much for the time. Thank you. Chris Lanuti from Socks in the Basement podcast here on the Future Socks podcast. My name is Mike Rankin. Thanks so much for tuning in. We will talk to you all next time.